0: Welcome to the PIECAST, serving up a slice of strange.
1: Alright, so we're back for another episode of the PIECAST, and I've got someone you may have heard his voice before, and you may have heard him on Little Geek Lost, but it's his first time on the PIECAST, so we've got Jack from England. Hi,
0: (laughs) this is is very very weird, making my PIECAST debut. Yes. (laughs) Although, as you mentioned, my voice has been on the show before. (laughs) Listeners, you may recognize me from intros and outros to a few of the episodes but um yeah it, it's really cool being on I've, I've listened as i was saying just before we started recording i've been listening to the show and i didn't think there would be a chance for me to come on because last time mandy and i recorded an episode together of little geek lost we were arguing about the Loch Ness Monster for like 40 <laughs> minutes so i feel like i wouldn't be welcome on the paranormal supernatural podcast <laughs> that is that is pie and i was like hmm and you came up with a great idea for a topic for me to come on and talk about, and I was like, "That sounds cool. That's in that's in my wheelhouse. I don't have I don't have to talk about dinosaurs in lakes. That sounds good."
1: <laughs> Surprise! It's really about Nessie. I tricked you. <laughs> oh shit! shit. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to talk about sciency stuff and sciency space stuff, and I was like, "Who better talk about sciency space stuff with than Jack? So We can have hey. science
0: pie." <laughs> yeah, yeah slice of science pie
1: because jack went to school to be an astrophysicist
0: i did yeah (laughs) most people will probably know me from the little gig lost podcast where we spend most of it talking about time travel sandwiches and stuff (laughs) like that and we we've been talking about more sandwiches that's a thing that my buddy matt who you may also know from little gig lost matt wilmot he's been on the show quite a few times he's my co-host on my comics podcast Um, that's probably where some other listeners might know me from as well, is the, uh, we call it the the British, the transatlantic threesome that is me, you and Matt on Little Geek Lost.
1: (laughs) Yep. Two guys, a girl, and a podcast. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly.
0: And yeah, I mention it occasionally, but it's not really something that's come up either in my professional life. Like, I, I don't do science for a living anymore, and I haven't studied it in five, I've been graduated for five years now, so... It's a weird thing where I still have all this knowledge kind of banked up, and I still read things like New Scientist and and articles and keep up and and listen to sciencey podcasts and things like that and and YouTube channels. And it's a weird thing to actually come on as like, hey, I'm I guess I'm kind of a science consultant <laughs> on this show. This is very strange. <laughs> it's not, it's nice to finally talk about it because I feel it's a skill of mine that doesn't really go. Like I said, it hasn't really been used. I, I host way more podcasts than I do talk about science or anything like that. So most of my podcasting experience is me basically doing what you're doing now and hosting it and being the kind of mediator and asking questions and things like that. It's quite weird to be coming on and talking about science.
1: <laughs> For science. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, spacecraft physics. I thought it would be an awesome topic because a lot of time I'm watching stuff where it's like... Shows about aliens or people being abducted or invasions and stuff. And they're all, you know, it's the alien spaceship flies all the way across the universe and comes to our planet and leaves their headlights on. <laughs> 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 or like, you know, and I'm always wondering, too, I'm like how if they're from another place, does it does their stuff be like the same laws of physics as our planet and the whole science of like space travel and. And that whole thing with like space and the universe up there, so I thought it'd be a great topic for podcast because it's sciency and spacey and alieny, alieny. <laughs> yeah,
0: astronomy and astrophysics, which are kind of the more not necessarily wishy washy sides of physics, but they have more chance for weird stuff to happen with aliens and like that's literally how we're going to discover aliens in real life. Despite my constant skepticism of the Loch Ness Monster and and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) I truly believe in aliens. I very much doubt they visited us, but I am almost certain there must be some sort of at least semi-intelligent, if not fully sentient and intelligent life out there just because of the sheer number of galaxies and planets stars and stuff. It just has to be. If we're the only ones and Donald Trump is the president (laughs) in all the planets in the universe <laughs> there is the one planet that has sentient life at the moment a Donald Trump has become president of yeah. the United States <laughs> that is a terrifying terrifying prospect for me and and if that is true I we, we may as well just give up now like yeah. what's the point <laughs> exactly. so it's kind of hope that things like the Drake equation which is um a, an equation made famous sort of twenty thirty years ago. Which basically calculates the chances and the probability of extraterrestrial life, intelligent extraterrestrial life and civilizations out there. Now, it's not very sciencey, which is maybe appropriate for this since <laughs> I'm going to be talking about some weird non sciencey stuff as well. It takes a lot of assumptions and guesses and things like that, but it is an interesting thing to give a rough calculation of just the sheer amount of stars in the Milky Way and then the amount of galaxies that are much much bigger than the milky way that are then there's hundreds of thousands of millions of those in the universe (laughs) you can't even the brain can't even comprehend how far it is to like get to the moon unless you've literally done it unless you're one of the like two dozen people that's ever done it it's like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of miles or you know we're talking about light years and it's millions and millions of miles (laughs) the human mind can't even begin to comprehend that stuff. No. That's why I find it so fascinating. And I kind of want to put a little stipulation here of I'm not going to get everything a hundred percent accurate. And that is because we don't know everything about what's going on. Like I, I, I will say stuff to the best of my knowledge and the best of our current knowledge, as far as I know in sort of like popular culture and popular science and things like that. But this stuff is ever changing. Like, by the time this show posts, we could have a new, you know, rocket technology that propels us to the stars or something like that. The way computing technology is accelerating and the way NASA and the European Space Agency are progressing with their technology and companies like SpaceX as well, which are. Those awesome. kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's incredible. We now have rockets that can land themselves. Yeah. They literally <laughs> land on a platform in the sea and it's absolutely crazy. You don't have the classic it flies up and you get the shot of it like jettison, mm-hmm. jettisoning the empty fuel canisters and and things like that. It actually just comes back and lands by itself, which is way more groundbreaking than I think it's given credit for.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Like Game changing, incredible stuff that could save lives and time and money mm-hmm. so much going forward if that becomes a real and usable technology for, for space agencies and space exploration in the future. And that's not wishy-washy oh it might happen, maybe it's warp <laughs> drive oh it's like no this is real stuff that's happening right now and and companies like SpaceX and people like Elon Musk are, are pushing the boundaries because the, the government agencies simply are not getting the funding anymore. And people always think Oh, NASA gets of your of your American listeners' taxes. How much of it goes into NASA? And people say, "Oh, it must be like how many cent." The classic is how many cents per dollar of your tax money would go to NASA. And you think, "Oh, it must be like two, three cents, I guess. Like you know, two, three yeah. percent. It's like point naught naught one or something like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. It's absolutely crazy. And the stuff that they've accomplished and it's it's things as simple as we would not have camera phones if it wasn't for nasa Mm -hmm. we wouldn't have laptops if it wasn't for nasa we wouldn't have the microphone i'm talking into right now (laughs) if it wasn't for nasa (laughs) and not just nasa canadian space agency is also awesome shout out to commander chris hadfield maybe the greatest astronaut of the modern age yeah and we built the arm Oh, exactly yeah it, it, <laughs> and, it, and it's all this technology that is kind of invented uh, one of my absolute favourite physicists and particularly uh, particularly astrophysicist is a guy called Phil Plait who is, he's called the bad astronomer he corrects <laughs> bad astronomy when it's like oh there's a newspaper article talking about this thing the I- ISS has got this thing and this guy's gone up to the International Space Station and they fundamentally misunderstand how it works He's the guy that goes in, corrects them and tells everybody how it's done right. Or you'll see like a gif on Reddit. Do you remember that famous gif of the... It's the sun traveling in a circle and all the planets are like spiraling around it in a trail? Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah. That is complete bollocks. 100% utter nonsense that has never, ever been proven and we've traveled outside of the solar system with things, with cameras, so we yeah. can literally see the alignment of the planets and how things are traveling. That is not how it works. And everybody was like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. Wow, look at how incredible. It's like a helix <laughs> going. It's like human. It's like DNA. And this is the proof of God because we're built like the solar system. But that's not how that works. <laughs> don't believe everything you read on the Internet. And he is the guy that is don't believe all the science you read on the Internet. And he is amazing for that sort of stuff. And he used to work for NASA and he helped develop some of the lens and camera technology that is used in the Hubble Space Telescope, which is now used in phones, in camera phones. It's the exact same technology. We've just become so advanced in the last 35 years that it's now, you know, it's smaller than a thumbnail, a literal human thumbnail <laughs> that will fit inside a phone. Yeah. Whereas before, it was eight foot by nine foot giant sheets of metal and glass and stuff and took years and years of calculations and experiments to build. Now machines build hundreds of thousands of iPhones and Samsung phones and Android phones and stuff. And I don't think they get enough credit for doing that sort of stuff. And that, that side of technology is just incredible to me. And and that's one of the things I'm most excited to talk with you about is how the future of technology for spacecrafts as well
1: <laughs> for alien technology <laughs> maybe some people think that that's where like the big technology boom came from is that like when aliens crashed in roswell and they brought all the technology and then suddenly there was like this big tech boom and they've just slowly been giving us bits of their technology yeah yeah <laughs> I won't get too crazy into alien theories. We'll talk about spacecrafts.
0: <laughs> we can do aliens for another episode. We'll save aliens for another episode. I've been playing a lot of No Man's Sky recently, oh, so nice. we, can, we, we can save aliens for another episode.
1: <laughs> that sounds good to me. <laughs> so, the physics of spacecrafts. So, you are talking, like when we were kind of doing the little pre-show stuff, about how two different ways of travel. So, interplanetary and interstellar. So let's talk about the two different ways.
0: Yeah, it's it's more the types. It's not necessarily two different ways. It's just two different problems for, for the scientists yeah. and the, the researchers to solve. Because the two main problems is if you're traveling within a planet's atmosphere, it's a whole different kettle of fish compared to traveling in space. In space... There is no up or down or sideways. You feel gravity from certain bodies. So by bodies, I mean celestial bodies. It's a, it's a term that is used to describe an object in space that exerts gravity and forces on, on other things. So the Earth is a celestial body, the sun is a celestial body, etc. And having that to worry about i'm sure you've probably seen and the listeners have seen as well where you can like slingshot stuff around earth to get they yeah. used it in the martian for example the martian is an amazing example of hard science particularly the book more so than the film because the film gets a bit hollywoodian yeah i love i love both but the whole i'm iron man thing is a joke in the <laughs> book that he makes and then it's actually the film i'm like okay yeah they had to do that fair <laughs> enough but he kind of jokes about it in the book, and they're like, yeah, don't be crazy. There's no way you could do that. And he doesn't, and it just carries on. <laughs> and, but they, they do that whole thing where the crew, in order to save him in time, they slingshot around the back of Earth, pick up extra supplies and stuff, and then come back around, and you can use gravity wells to swing, basically loop around and use the energy, the propulsion energy you gain from being slingshotted around the Earth to go faster using less of your fuel and fuel is a big big problem for travel in general even on earth let alone in space
1: yeah there's no gas stations in space
0: well that too yeah the, the main <laughs> problem like I talked about earlier with the, the incredible thing about SpaceX being able to land back down is that it can travel with its fuel and it comes back down and it just gets refilled and it travels out again and comes back down again whereas as i mentioned you usually see the the classic shot is it fires the rocket fires up and it gets to a certain height and then it jettisons like there's like a mini explosion at the bottom of it yeah. and the first the first stage releases and that's usually the the fuel that's been used up for for launching launching is the most fuel intensive part of flying anything because the gravity of earth is the biggest problem once yeah. you're off Once you're in space, you can kind of not necessarily do what you want, but the the, the lack of gravity means you can poke something, literally poke something, and it will float away from you until it hits something. It won't go very fast. That will depend on how much energy and how much fuel you put into it. But if you just put your thruster on a little bit, you'll just go forever, which, uh, again, I'm going to be referencing a lot of films and TVs in here because, you know, nerdy crossovers and stuff. (laughs) gravity is a perfect example of that the the, um, the little like jetpack suit that George Clooney uses and yeah. that is a totally real thing that actually exists and they use it incredibly sparingly you basically just need to go and you're suddenly floating and then, oh no, slightly far to the right just a little bit of a to the left and you're fine that's all you need and once you're actually in space you're fine but having enough fuel to get out interspace is the real problem. So interplanetary stuff I think has best been done with one of my favorite shows on TV at at the moment, The Expanse. Have you seen this show, Mandy? Yeah,
1: that's one of the ones in our rotation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I adore that show, and I love the books as well. Um, I haven't read all of the books. I've read the first three or four, and it was like noir detective story with Miller's side of things. Oh, yeah. And then the, the, the Rossinanti... Crew was like fireflying, and it was just uh, it's like hard science firefly, and that's just <laughs> my my absolute dream basically, and they do it really well, where at the moment it takes a long time to get anywhere,
1: yeah,
0: using conventional fuels and stuff like that, even going to Mars takes months mm-hmm. going to the moon takes ages, like you know unless we have a breakthrough with something something really interesting and new. We don't have anything that gets us anywhere fast, even, like I said, without the, without the strong pull of gravity in space. We're still kind of stuck in conventional fuels and nothing going fast anywhere. Intergalactic and interstellar travel is a whole different thing. Once you're out there and going from, say you want to go from our solar system to a different solar system, we've yet to do that and that is where things like the classic star trek warp drive comes in yeah the the like star wars star hyperdrive where the the kind of things behind that it's a bit more theoretical than a lot of the interplanetary stuff because obviously we have more experience with planetary science than we do with intergalactic science at the moment <laughs> yeah obviously <laughs> and you have this idea that you can fold space-time and by space-time i mean the very thing that we exist in so the three dimensions that we call height width and depth and the fourth dimension being time create this this thing that everything lives within or on however you want to think about it called space-time and basically if you think about it I, i the the example that has always been used I think works the best is you think about it as like you're holding out a bed sheet like a blanket and placing things on there so like balls like a you put a a soccer ball on there i know i translated that for the for the folks <laughs> at home soccer ball on there and then you put a bowling ball on there and you put a ping pong ball on there and you've got three different size things of different masses and they will make the sheet dip lower down and you get what we that's basically how gravity works in space time it creates a little a dip that sucks everything in so if you then throw something lighter again you throw another ping pong ball on there and you just throw it onto the blanket it's probably going to the bowling ball because it's the heaviest thing so it'll be the, the the furthest dip down which means it's the most massive it's the equivalent of something like jupiter or the sun which is the most massive thing in our solar system obviously You can then, in theory, fold space-time itself. So imagine you're trying to get from the bowling ball to the soccer ball. Yeah. And you actually, somebody goes underneath the blanket, pinches it up, and just keeps pulling it up and up and up until they're touching and they're holding like a little peak. And you basically, like, I don't know, get a pen or a knife or something, and stab a hole straight through, <laughs> and you just punch straight through, and instead of going, you know, a metre across this blanket, you travel a couple of centimetres, and, and you are in the same place. Mm-hmm. And then space-time comes back down, in again, in theory, and you have travelled hundreds of thousands and thousands of miles by only travelling a short distance. Yeah problem is, we don't know how to do this yet.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it, in
0: theory, it will take an incredible amount of energy.
1: Wormholes. And,
0: yeah. Wormholes, and which are not, probably not things, unless that's what black holes are. Mm-hmm. Because we don't know much about black holes. It's unlikely that they are anything to transport you anywhere else. I'm sorry, No Man's Sky fans. <laughs> but it's this interesting thing of we don't really know how anything works because no. we don't have the technology, we don't have the energy to punch a hole in space time yet, yeah. we can't quite do like Superboy did back in the day in the DC universe and punch reality <laughs> and change things, unfortunately we don't have superheroes to kind of punch things and solve all of our problems <laughs> Um. Again, one of my favorite physicists, Michio Kaku, who's an American astrophysicist, he talks about the types of civilizations and he defines them not on intelligence, but by how much energy they can harness at a single time. So at the moment, we are a type zero, which is the lowest form on this scale, in that we harness basically the natural resources of our planet and that's about it. And type one which is the next thing on the scale is harnessing an entire planet's worth of energy okay so having if you can can somehow say we f- we find another planet and we're able to get there we can then change the weather of that planet and adjust hurricanes or something like that and we can completely control like storm from x-men style <laughs> control the entire planet's ecosystem and and, and climate, we can then use that for wind farming and things like that, and and just have all the energy we want all the time, and harness an entire planet's worth of solar energy, or wind farm energy, or or whatever. Now, again, we can't do that at the moment, and we certainly can't do that with our own because we can't afford to manipulate climate without killing a bunch of humans Yeah, <laughs> you maybe could even use things like the heat of the planet so like volcanoes and and tectonic plate shifts and earthquakes and things like that there is so much energy mountains are created by tectonic plates like the himalayas yeah. the, the mountain range in the world were flat millions of years ago and if you can harness that energy of millions and millions of tons of rock shifting and becoming molten and all that heat and kinetic energy, you can have some real serious kick to your spaceship. And the next stage, type two, is harnessing the power of a star. If you can somehow, some way, harness the power of an entire star, you have like 10 billion times the energy <laughs> of a Type 1 civilization.
1: Yeah, that's a lot of energy.
0: Yeah, that's a hell of a lot of energy and that is the kind of thing that would probably let us travel way beyond our wildest dreams. That's warp drive type stuff if that's possible. And having things like the the laws of thermodynamics, just having that amount of heat and that amount of radiation energy, you can convert that into propulsion I I say reasonably easily obviously we can't do it yet but in, in theory that would be a reasonable thing to do if you can you know generate an entire star into a one big engine for your ship or for your civilization that would be absolutely mind blowing and incredible and the third and final type we've gone from stars they now go to a full galaxy (laughs) <laughs> which is another 10 billion times more powerful than type 2 and this is yeah i don't really like you can kind of get your head around maybe harnessing the energy of a planet because we have a concept of how big a planet is yeah people have been to space and you you can see a you know some people's backgrounds on their laptops or desktops or whatever are pictures of earth or like a shot of the sun doing a solar flare and stuff and you kind of get a concept of How impossibly big those are, but harnessing the entire power of a galaxy, (laughs) I wouldn't even know where to start.
1: Yeah, that's crazy.
0: Somehow you're extracting energy from hundreds of billions of stars, and you know, the universe is literally your oyster at that point. You can do absolutely anything in theory (laughs) and do whatever you want with all the energy of a galaxy. Harnessing something like a supernova may be an option. And being able to to fold space and create wormholes <laughs> and like that, maybe that maybe because they kick out a hell of a lot of energy as well. Harnessing those kind of things are possible ways to to create real interstellar travel. Uh, but but that's something we haven't We haven't worked out yet obviously we're still stuck with coal fuel and gas and you know hydrogen and stuff like that
1: we can barely harness the wind at this point (laughs) yeah yeah yeah
0: try and convince i'm sorry to go make it political again but try to convince america to set up some more wind farms yeah yeah great
1: well here they tried to put like like they wanted to put a whole bunch of windmills and stuff up on the mountains because it's a mountain, and you get a lot of energy and stuff, and then there's all the people that lived underneath it, and they're all the richy rich folks, and they're like, well, there's the shadows and the flickers, and it, it wrecks our view of the mountains. I'm like, oh, it wrecks your view of the mountain? You're staring at the mountain all the time?
0: Oh, the mountain that probably won't be there, because it yeah. will be a f- apocalyptic wasteland. Yeah. Great,
1: Yeah. Oh, it's going to ruin your view of the mountain that you paid for when you bought that house. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> So that was like all shut down.
0: (laughs) Yeah, God, that greatly. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. At the moment, we're we're trying to get our head around. Like, you really have to take this in steps. Getting our head around interplanetary travel is one thing. Like, like the Martian is is a reasonably plausible thing that could happen in the next. But that again, that's something SpaceX and and Elon Musk have been talking about quite a lot. Well, they're doing that thing where
1: they're sending. Like, they want to send those people, right, on the one-way trip to Mars. The one-way
0: ticket to Mars, yeah. Who wants to go to Mars one way? To try and do some, not necessarily colonization, but enough for, (laughs) basically what, um, what what is the character's name? I'm just going to call him Matt Damon. What Matt Damon (laughs) did in The Martian. Yeah. For what he did, where he kind of built his own little environment in a, for want of a better phrase, in an environmental tent seal. Yeah then that's the kind of thing we want to see how long can people survive and the martian will become like, there's there's weird rumors of like chinese astronauts and russian astronauts being trained for like mars-based reality tv shows and all oh. this weird stuff which is kind of amazing but don't we have enough reality tv shows yeah. already I mean- can we not can we not have one thing that isn't ruined by reality TV, please?
1: You think, like, if you take out the whole reality TV part and it was just like watch these people living on Mars, then you know,
0: that'd yeah. be fine. It's it's the Big Brother After Dark thing where they're just yeah. all sleeping all the time. Yeah. And for some reason, they broadcast that twenty four seven. So you, as you fall asleep, you could watch other people sleeping yeah. or like killing <laughs> having sex in a Big Brother house, and like, yeah. who's gonna be the first person to have sex on mars oh my god is it gonna be danny and janelle who knows (laughs) oh my god the
1: first baby born on mars
0: yeah who's the first martian baby Mm -hmm. like yeah that that's a straight up chicken and the egg kind of question of that that answers that question that is the first martian is that baby born on the surface in that little in, in that sealed tent environment
1: that would be amazing, but well, the, yeah. What so, was it in the, the Martian? Where because like he grew food, so then that made him Martian.
0: Yeah, exactly. He was the first one that like created agriculture and stuff like that. Yeah. I guess, and that and that's a fundamental thing of civilization. Like, food is obviously one of the most basic needs of any creature, and agriculture is a huge step. That separate, but that's the thing, in my opinion, that basically separates us from every other creature on this planet. Yeah, I'm very much in the belief that we are primates in our in our nature, and you know, as you can probably tell, I believe fully in evolution and things like that. But that is is a fascinating thing. If we can get something working like we did in The Martian, I say like we did, like we did it, <laughs> like the film in the book The Martian, where you can grow even if it's just potatoes and uh, exploding potatoes yeah <laughs> then you know that's a huge huge step towards survival and and prolonging prolonging your stay on that planet and in that harsh environment if you're stuck somewhere and you manage to set up what is essentially like a mini farm that will keep you going that is game changing stuff and it's things like its problems like that how do we transport all the seeds there, um, as well as all the people, as well as all this stuff, and there's st- there's a statistic, I don't know off the top of my head, but it's like, per kilogram of person, it costs, like, this many thousands of dollars of fuel. Okay, yeah. Uh, so you can't be, like, I'm quite a big guy, I'm 6'2", and, like, 250 pounds or something, like 240 pounds, so... That would not work with me being 105 kilos. i would be like, (laughs) go and lose 30 kilos and maybe we'll talk. It's not that astronauts have to be in super great condition, which they do because it's very physically straining, which is something I want to talk about as well because that's something The Expanse does incredibly well in their interplanetary travel is it's incredibly physically taxing to accelerate to any sort of speed. And it's something they tackle on The Expanse really, really well. But they, you have to be lighter than the average person. It's basically like being a jockey. Yeah. You don't want these huge, either fat or muscular people on the backs of horses because the horses simply can't carry them and the weight will just counteract the the, the power of the, the animal. And that's the same true for space travel. You want to send basically like gymnast people, yeah. small athletic they need not necessarily less nutrition but like smaller people tend to eat less and things (laughs) like that so there's less worry about feeding them for so long and yeah it's that it's you know finding a balance between size and and health and everything like that it's it's another thing that most people don't even think about in like if you meet chris chris hadfield he's not some even though he he looks like this Incredible mustachioed military (laughs) guy who thinks like this six foot four, towering. Basically, he's cap. He's like Captain Canada, like Captain America, but Canadian. Yeah. And he's this hero among men, which he is. Chris Hadfield is the man, but he's like five eight, five nine, just a just a normal, reasonably short dude who happens to be incredibly interesting and and did some fantastic science on the International Space Station. Yeah, And yeah, it's an interesting thing. Going back to the Expanse, their thing where they have the juice that they have to take to, they do what they call a turn burn, where Mm -hmm. they have to if they change direction, like I said at the beginning, there's no up, there's no down, there's no left, there's no right in space. It's just point me towards the planet in whatever direction we're in assuming you have some sort of artificial gravity on your ship as well, which is a whole other thing <laughs> that we don't really have either. Yeah. Because, in theory, you can spin a thing, and, like, the, the centripetal force will stick you to the... Like, that's how it works in Elysium, for example. I'm talking of Matt Damon again. Mm-hmm. The whole thing spins, so people, you basically stick to the edge. Like, when you swing a bucket round full of water, yeah, and you swing it on a stays in there exactly yeah you swing you do like a, around the world like yo-yo style you can tell i'm a kid in the 90s going <laughs> around the world with your bucket of water the water stays in there because of the force of it you know that this the swinging force creates a centripetal force that keeps the water stuck to the bottom of the bucket in theory we can spin something that would then create an artificial quote-unquote gravity field by sticking you to the ground but you have to balance that spinning very, very carefully so you don't crush people, <laughs> basically.
1: Yeah, exactly, and so it, they're not flattened.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think if if the listeners are interested in like hard sci-fi kind of things, The Expanse is my number one recommendation because I don't think that show is getting enough credit. It was my pick. I did a, a list of like favorite new shows of last year. It was my number one pick. I absolutely adore that. And how much... It balances the. It's not like it's not a science show. It is still fiction. It's still got crazy stuff mm-hmm. happening and exo suits and and cool stuff like that. But the way it handles the interplanetary travel and the gravity side of things with the belters being people who exist in lower gravity, so yeah. people who are born outside of a planetary orbit will be taller. They have problems with their spines. They have a bunch of health issues. I find that fascinating and that's exactly what happened if you get this like first wave of people colonizing mars which has lower gravity by the way they would be taller that baby born on mars will be taller will be probably crooked in the spine because Mm -hmm. we've spent hundreds of thousands of years millions of years evolving under this reasonably uniform gravity that is on earth even from like there are differences if you're i mentioned the himalayas earlier if you're at the top of mount everest compared to you know sea level basically yeah. there are differences in gravity but not enough whereas if you're in the international space station people come back like I, I keep talking about Chris Hadfield because he's <laughs> amazing and you're Canadian so it kind of makes sense yeah he, he's my Canadian hero <laughs> apart from you Mandy of course <laughs> um, he came back like two inches taller than when he left mm-hmm. because y- your spine's not under any pressure anymore you sleep not upside down, not the right way around, not in any particular direction. You just yeah. kind of strap into a sleeping bag on a wall and it's neither it, – you're not lying sideways or upside down or the right way around because they don't exist. Yep. So you grow <laughs> and your spine not having to deal with that problem. Like posture isn't a thing because there's no – Gravity to be had. So it's this really interesting thing. If people are born on Mars, like you said, if this first wave of colonists go there, we're gonna have people who are taller and are gonna look differently, maybe their arms will be thinner and leaner. Like that that's how the expanse has handled it, is the belters, as they're called, they Mm -hmm. they live out in the asteroid belt and do a lot of mining and stuff like that. So there's very little gravity they're taller their spines are kind of crooked and they all have kind of weird health problems and stuff and i think that would that would probably happen that's one of the most believable parts of that show for me and that's something we need to take into account as we begin to explore space more and more
1: I want to thank Jack for being on this episode of the podcast. You can find him on all social media. Just look for JLW Chambers if you want to hunt him down. um, As well as uh, podcasts that he hosts are Intercomics Pod, Ultimate Spin, and Sequelizers. So you can find those and listen to to his other shows and the shows that Jack's on as well for something a bit different. this episode was definitely more more science-y astrophysics talk and there's actually going to be a two-parter so there will be a second part coming up where we get into more alien space stuff so hopefully you come back for that and hopefully you enjoyed this one thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. as always you can find the show at thepiecast.com on itunes stitcher google play any of your podcasting apps just look for the podcast. And you can interact with me on Twitter, at Pod. I enjoy interaction from fans, feedback, suggestions for the show, and even if you want to be on the show, be sure to hit me up.